Welcome to From Earning to Learning, the podcast where we talk about all things education. I'm your host, Dave Franjosen. All right, I have with me tonight from one of my favorite places in the world, San Diego, California, Dr. Matt Rhodes. He is um, an educator, a blogger, an author, a podcaster. Um, you know, I, I think it's easier to say the uh, aspects of education he has not had a role in, um, you know, because he's hit pretty much every level um, from co-teacher to consultant, um, you know, working with pre-service teachers. Um, so welcome, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great just to chat with you and uh, learn more from you as well as uh, connect with our audience. So um, for the people who don't know you, just tell them a little bit about yourself, um, you know, your role in education, how you got there, just a little bit about your story. Yeah. So luckily I'm blessed to have my hand in uh, K-12 adult and higher education. So um, I've had experience um, teaching at the K-12 level, secondary in uh, special education, as well as general education settings. I've done a lot of different content. Um, I've worked with pre-service teachers in primary and secondary in dual language programs, so in English and in Spanish. Um, currently doing a lot in adult education, uh, career technical education in my role as a, a tech trainer and instructional leader for our adult ed consortium. And then I do work with doctoral students as well, focusing on their research and technology work. So I got my hands in a lot, which is uh, it's truly a blessing because I get to see what's going on. In, in a lot of different schools across uh, Southern California and done some work with some schools in Arizona and in Northern California, as well as some ed tech companies and some consulting roles. So it's, it's really interesting to see what's going on in education. I think it's a fascinating time, although I think it's one that I think this school year in particular is probably the most challenging school year, I think in the past hundred years. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely been a journey and I look forward to just chatting with you and, uh, See where this goes. All right. So before we get into everything that you're doing, um, you know, let's talk about what you just said for a minute, that this year is the most challenging year uh, in the past hundred years of education. So what makes you say that? I think one, it's fatigue from the past couple years, but I also think it's fatigue in the system of education over the last 15, 20 years. Um, I think that over time, there's been an erosion in trust and respect in the institution. And then over time, especially over the last few years with COVID, it definitely has made things far more difficult. And especially this year with the various surges and being back in person uh, full time in many schools, you know, whether it's moving back and forth a couple times, classes closing for a number of weeks and going online back and, um, and just teachers having to deal with all that change. And um, working with students that in some respect hasn't been back in school for the past couple of years um, in a traditional setting. So um, it's, that's, that's some of the reasons that I think that it is the most challenging year that we've had. Yeah. And I mean, I don't disagree with you. I actually just recently uh, posted a blog about that three reasons why this is my toughest year yet, because uh, I completely agree. Like for me, um, you know, at the beginning, when we first shifted to uh, remote instruction at the end of the 1920 school year, obviously it wasn't ideal, but um, 
it was more manageable. We had seven months with our students and we got to build those relationships, have those routines. And um, it was just way easier for them to understand, um, you know, how I, I wanted them to engage with me. I found last year very challenging um, building those relationships and routines. But um, for some reason, back in person this year, um, I found this to be even more challenging. So, I, I mean, I think you're right on, um, you know, for a lot of the reasons that you said. And, uh, you know, so I you published a book. Well, one of the books that you've published, um, you know, because on top of everything else that you do in a new home, like, you know, you want to take on, uh, you know, writing books, which, you know, we all know that's uh, a monumental task. So one of the books that you've authored or co-authored. Um, so navigating the toggle term, right. And, um, so that was aimed at trying to help people manage this disruption, right? So can you talk a little bit about the book, um, you know, who would benefit from it? Um, you know, and, um, what your vision is going forward. Yeah, so the book essentially provides educators with a guide that can help them move between various classroom settings, whether you're um, in person, online, or blended, providing a series of instructional strategies that are research-based that can work in any setting and frameworks that can help them move back and forth, um, starting with uh, um, online instructional infrastructure, which includes your learning management system and a number of different ed tech tools for like assessment, engagement, um, collaboration, and then moving into the instructional strategy piece, which is the toggle term instructional framework, aligning those instructional strategies for these various settings. And the goal was to align these instructional strategies so that they can be effective in any setting. So for example, think right pair share can be utilized in an in-person as well as blended or um, fully online setting, um, especially for like formative assessment, activating prior knowledge. Um, that's just one example. The jigsaw strategy can be utilized within online or in-person setting um, and so on. So I go through about 15 or so strategies, but then I also focus on how do you differentiate instruction in all these settings for English language learners or students with special needs? How do you conduct an IEP meeting in this world that we currently live in? Then I also speak upon um, organizationally. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with the culture? How do you provide educators with the resources as well as the capacity to move between these settings? And I think I provide across the book is that in each of these um, themes I'm talking about is that there's um, really case study stories from educators and during the year 2020, um, going through these, um, you know, various classroom settings, utilizing these strategies and from the teacher level to the administrator level and to the um, superintendent level talking about these things. So not only do you have the practical approach um, that you can apply, but you also have, um, you know, the research base. So that's kind of really the goal. And, and ultimately it does end on teacher self-care and trying to um, create that, you know, I call it rhythmic balance in life um, as an educator and trying to balance all the realities that we're facing. So definitely um, 
was um, a, it was a challenging book to write, but it was something I felt that could benefit, um, you know, educators now, but also in the future, because I don't see uh, um, a lot changing, to be honest with you. I think that we are in a world now where there's going to be a lot more um, different modalities in which instruction provided, especially, I think, at the secondary level, moving, you know, high school to all throughout higher education in adult ed too. So um, we may see it in middle school. I don't see it, the modalities occurring in more of the elementary, but I do see that, you know, education has changed. Um, and I think that I'm hoping that for educators, it gets better. But I think in terms of instruction, I think that there's a lot more options. And I think we have to be able to navigate that as a new teacher a novice teacher and a veteran teacher as well as an administrator and, and, and school leader. So, and I, I don't disagree with you. I saw uh, a lot of students who benefited from this shift to remote instruction, um, you know, and when done well, it, it works uh, for a, a lot of students. Now there's that misconception that remote instruction is less than face-to-face -face, and it's not. And with a lot of the strategies that you're providing, you know, teachers can have that high level of engagement. Now, I think the challenge that a lot of people have is when you say blended learning, uh, you know, it means different things to different it does. people, you know, and it's been done differently in different districts. Yeah, you know, so we had a hybrid model, and um, our hybrid model was I was teaching students in front of me and on the computer simultaneously. So concurrent, yeah, yeah. concurrent, yeah. And like you know, so that that doesn't work for anybody. You no. Know? no. So so if you could kind of differentiate when you're talking about blended learning. What do you mean by blended learning? So blended learning, and I, I talk specifically about the concurrent, or you could also even call it high flex model that people utilize throughout all of last year and then even to this year as well, um, where teachers teaching simultaneously students in person and online. To me, that is the hardest form of instruction. And to be honest, there's, um, there's a, when it comes to learning, it's, uh, theories called cognitive load theory and the amount of information that you process at one time, especially as a student and an instructor with that um, type of instruction that's occurring. It's just you're overloaded and it, it, it just you can't process, especially at the instructor level of what's going on and, you know, doing it effectively. Um, and I talked about in the book that, you know, if you're going to do this, <laughs> I think doing it for like a week or a couple weeks max, don't do it for the entire semester because it's unsustainable. Um, when I talk about blended learning, it's more of um, you provide that synchronous and asynchronous approach, whether you're in person um, and then online back, you know, so forth that way. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, you have that synchronous instruction, whether that's in person and that could be synchronous instruction online too. You can have blended approach um, online or in person. Um, it just basically means that you're providing instruction that's synchronous where it's, you know, you are interacting in real time with the student, which is synchronous. And then asynchronous is the students are more doing it independently, but it could be scaffolded and guided instruction, gradual release. Um, in that type of way. And it, that can be done whether you're in person or online. So um, 
I talk a lot about different types of this, like for example, um, the flip classroom model or station rotation, which all can be done um, whether you're in person or online, it just depends on how you set it up. And um, so that's kind of my definition. I think it's blended to me is, is um, it's just a variety of different modalities that you can incorporate within, you know, multiple classroom settings or in one classroom setting. Yeah, I, I think that's a great definition. And, you know, when framed that way and if implemented that way can be very effective. Right. So um, let's switch gears a bit. And so there's a lot of people out there who are starting to write books. And this is something you have a ton of experience with. So before we talk about your next project or projects, I should say, um, why don't you talk about your process of writing? Yeah, um, there's a, a lot that comes to it. Um, it really comes down to, for me, doing it every day. Um, and I'm someone that really likes my routine. Um, for example, this morning I spent from seven 30 to eight writing a portion of a chapter of a book. Um, or for example, I'll lay out on the weekends, a couple hours here and there for longer um, spans of writing. But I've also learned that in my writing that I, I like writing by myself, but same time I like writing with other people. Because if I can write with other people, you know, that gives me ideas and then we can, you know, collaborate and do it together if you pick the right people in your project. And um, right now I'm working with a lot of amazing educators. And to me, that's been really fun and engaging and that, you know, cuts the load on you, but it also lets you to, you know, um, you know, go outside the box. I'm sure for your book, uh, David, that, you know, having a co-author you can go back and forth and have those ideas. And especially if that person and you mold well, um, you know, ultimately the project I think um, can really be successful and it can be a lot of fun. So I've kind of shifted away from, um, you know, I wrote my um, book by myself, plan on writing another one in, in the future that where I do write it sol solo. But right now I, I wanna be working with people and I want to, you know, um, you know, amplify what we're doing. And I think that, you know, um, having those a, a variety of different experiences, um, you know, can lead to, you know, more innovative, more innovation and, you know, can relate to readers better. Yeah. It, collaboration is key. And a lot of times as educators, we're isolated, you know, yep. we're, we're in our classroom, we're doing our thing. Um, you know, we're busy. Right. And so that collaboration can be challenging, but, um, for me, I wouldn't be where I am in terms of my pedagogy without having that other person to say, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, make that make sense to me. Here are my thoughts. And like, you know, just that back and forth, it really just kind of sharpens your ideas and Definitely. not, not an echo chamber, right? Those divergent thoughts and just kind of working through that. If you can do that in a productive manner, um, I've found that to be the most helpful. Yeah. A hundred percent. You're not always going to agree, but I think that in a lot of conversations with educators, I think people in general, if you focus on the things that you agree about and then, you know, think about some of that fringe area that you may disagree about, but you could come up with something that as, as of a compromise or come up with something, you know, a little bit even more innovative than, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's a win-win in both those situations. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Two things that newer writers uh, struggle with. The first thing is coming up with ideas. And the second thing is imposter syndrome. Yep. So um, give us some thoughts on those two areas of writing. Um, I think first with imposter syndrome is that if you haven't done it before, then first start out with a blog and start writing every day and start reading a lot um, of books that you feel like that, you know, could benefit you in terms of your practice as an educator, but also as, you know, is there any sort of writers in education that you aspire to be like, or you like their style, et cetera. And you can start thinking to yourself, Hey, you know, after you've written a few blogs and your ideas, you can say, Hey, I could, I could figure out how to write like this. I can figure out how to write this style and I could, you know, process and, and write a book that way. Um, and also too, I can tell you from my experiences that with my first book, it, which was, um, now I've gained a toggle term, a, um, a guide for secondary teachers. Um, before I got a publisher, I self published that book and did it myself. And, you know, at the time, um, you know, publishers didn't seem like they were, um, down on a lot of my ideas, but, you know, then it changed after eight months and I had my self-published book that, which did quite well. So, I mean, there's multiple ways of going in the publication route. You don't have to have a publisher. Um, I think there's pros and cons of having a publisher. Sometimes publishers, you know, help push the book, but I think nowadays a lot of times publishers sometimes don't. So it just really depends on the fit. And ultimately is, you know, if you've listened to Dr. Will's um, Edupreneur type uh, podcast, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of things that you can do now as an individual that, you know, publishers used to do, um, you know, five to 10 years ago where you can amplify. So, I mean, it, it either way works. It just matters on the fit and, and just go for it. I mean, what do you have to lose? I mean, you don't have anything written right now. So, it, you know, just go ahead and do it and see what people think. And, you know, a blog is a good place to start, I think. And um, yeah, so that's for imposter syndrome and then just, did you say that second question was getting started? Yeah. Like how, how do you generate ideas? Because you have a lot of projects, right? And like, where do these ideas come from? Um, so I think for the project I'm working on right now, well, two of them. So um, the Amplify Global Series, as well as Instruction Without Boundaries. Um, for Amplify Global, I wanted to write about something that includes educators from around the world and classrooms from around the world and how they're utilizing instructional strategies and technology. I wanted to, I want to, you know, give other people the opportunity to collaborate with me and come up with some great ideas and share it with the world. And then the, the other project instruction without boundaries, I wanted to write a book that was kind of like a continuation of, navigating the toggle term, but based on a theme that Pandora's box has been opened. And we live in a world where, you know, classrooms and instruction really necessarily don't have boundaries anymore, like they did maybe five, 10 years ago. And how could we, you know, provide educators with a lot of different strategies that can work in these classrooms, you know, regardless of, you know, how experienced they are, because to be honest, many people in the world that we live in, whether you've been teaching five to 10 years or you're just starting, you're, you know, sometimes I feel like a lot of people are back at square one or, 
you know, you're a few notches above in the world that we live in. So um, I just, those were just kind of a little bit of my inspiration. And, um, you know, I think after you start writing a bit and you're reading a lot, listening to podcasts like yours and um, other educators, I mean, and you kind of get a gist on what's going on and what are your expertise and what do you think you can provide? And to me, that's how I kind of uh, formulate my ideas. Yeah. So for, I mean, for me, I just write about like, I write for me. I really don't write yeah. for anybody and it helps me kind of, um, you know, refine my ideas, get, get that out there. And, um, you know, if people resonate with it or like it even better, um, you know, but that's just kind of my process. Now you have mentioned Pandora's box and, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're right. Like, so, um, one of the challenges that I'm seeing this year is that students are not engaging with school the way that they have in the past. And I don't yeah. necessarily think that's a bad thing. All right. Um, it's a different thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but we have a lot of teachers that are trying to hit the reset button to 2019. Yep. You know, so are, are you seeing that out by you as well? Cause I yeah. know you're involved in a lot of aspects. So definitely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of districts that are going backwards to 2019. And then there's some districts where they've done a great job and kind of realized this is the world we live in and we just need to continue building our capacity in the world that we live in. I know districts where they've taken away their Chromebooks and the kids have few few devices in the class now uh, when they were one-to-one -one for the last three to four years. Um, and I've seen teachers go from utilizing a lot of tech and instructional strategies to paper and pencil and, you know, you know, backwards. Um, and I think that the districts that have decided to go back to 2019 are going to lose business. And um, the districts that I think they're providing multiple options and they are continuing, um, you know, progressing forward in terms of, you know, living in the world that we live in versus going back to 2019 or setting themselves up for more success um, in the future for the long haul. I think people, um, you know, I think humans in general like to go back to what's comfortable. And I think for many people going back to 2019 is comfortable. Right. And I think that, you know, that was one way I think that a lot of districts felt like, Hey, you know, we're back in person. It's, you know, the same, you know, show that it was. And, um, and I think that people don't realize now that where we're currently at in education is just that we're not going back to 2019 and we live in a world where classrooms don't have boundaries and you got to be effective in providing that for students and students want instruction now. And whether that's, you know, live face to face or whether you're at, you know, 5, 6 p.m. at night and having something available for that student. Yeah. And I mean, I can't speak to administrators making decisions on which way the, the district's going to go, but um, for teachers, even teachers that want to make changes, the past couple of years have been survival mode and there really exactly. hasn't been that time to develop. Like, you know, when you talk about a teacher who's been teaching for 15, 20 years, they develop a whole bunch of resources for that you know, that one method of teaching. Um, and then in two years, they're just trying to piece it together. And there hasn't really been that time um, to develop 
the new mm-hmm. approaches and, and get comfortable. And I mean, that that's where your book comes in and helps. Yeah. Um, but you know, then the challenge is finding the time to actually read practice and implement, exactly. you know? So, um, and I, I do understand that, that comfortability with, you know, going back to like what things were, but I mean, if we're being honest, 2019 didn't work for everybody. It didn't, <laughs> you know, and there are a lot of changes that needed to be made before COVID hit. And, you know, I think, um, you know, we were making some headway in, in some respects and then everything just kind of got turned on its head. Yeah. And I, and I think that you make a really good point is, is that, you know, it's been survival mode. And I think that over the next few years, there's going to be, you know, there's that initial pushback this year. Um, because it's just survival, but I think that hopefully as, as the conditions improve, that we will see that push forward versus that push back. And I think that, like I say, when Pandora's box has been open, doesn't mean that it's going to be something that's going to, you know, take hold in, you know, six months or, you know, we live in a society that this wants the, you know, right now, right there. <laughs> but in reality, I think this stuff, you know, what we're really going to see is across the board more so about 2025, but the innovative districts probably, you know, 23, 24, um, you know, more, more soon. So um, everyone's at their own pace and that's okay. Um, But I think that if you don't grasp this reality, then um, you know, it's, it's not going to benefit your students. Yeah. And yeah, I will say as somebody who uh, I've been in a one-to-one district prior to COVID. So, you know, we had a district-wide LMS. We had all of our assignments on there. Um, You know, there's a benefit to both, right? So, you know, paper and pencil, there's a place for it, right? Um, And then you know, having videos and tutorials and access to, you know, supplemental material that students can engage with whenever they want, there's a benefit to that. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that we had a lot of that stuff in place prior to um, having to shift to remote instruction. I didn't have to teach my students how to use a new platform because these were platforms that my district already had. You know, so, um, and I think that's, there's a a steep learning curve for some people where it's the first time that they're seeing this technology. It's the the first time that their students are seeing this technology, Um, you know, and and that's tough. And, you know, so every situation is, is vastly different. So, you know, the, the change is going to take time and, you know, uh, we got to support people however we can. And, you know, you write blogs about it. You have your podcast, uh, you know, you've, you've interviewed some amazing guests. Um, you know, I I've connected with a couple of them, like we talked about off air and, you know, there's some products that are coming out that I think are game changers, um, you know, in terms of feedback and, you know, bridging the gap between an LMS and the the student information systems. And, you know, we're going to see more of that, like more functional technology, not this replacement type stuff, but things that are actually going to take it to the next level. And I I think to develop that takes time. Oh, I I agree. And I think that 
I think some people have listened to, or some tech companies have, you know, really listened to the feedback while others have it. And I, I think that with any sort of ed tech is that we got to always remember that the teacher is the one that's always driving it and they're driving the pedagogy and the instructional strategies with the tech. So if we first start there and listen to the teachers that know the pedagogy and how to provide these strategies with these tools and the tools will, you know, hopefully vastly improve. And I think that <laughs> over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of clunky things. And I think that over time, you know, they've gotten better and there's been new ones that have come out to replace them. Um, but I think at the end of the day, though, I, we always have to start with a teacher, you know, it's a teacher that's driving it. And, um, and like you did say that there's a lot of game changing tools coming around, especially for, um, I think for feedback and assessment, I think we live in a world of um, formative assessment and feedback, you know, monitoring, adjusting instruction in real time. To me, that is, you know, um, the most effective way to provide assessment and feedback. And, um, and we live in a world where we can do it in a matter of, you know, minutes or seconds, we can see everyone live, essentially, what are some good things that they're doing? What are some areas that they need to improve on? How can we provide that feedback, whether that is a whole class feedback and one to two points or have a conversation with that student and, um, you know, you know, have them, you know, talk about that and do that self-assessment piece. So I think that there's so much opportunity now and we lived in a world before uh, 2020 where that was just starting to happen. But now it's it's I think that there's a larger capacity among educators now to do that. And I think that for what you talked a lot about with the grade list movement, I think post 2020, we live in a world that's much more favorable to that than we did prior to 2020. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's once again, still a challenge, still an uphill battle. It because, is. You know, grades are just so ingrained in the fabric of education that, you know, uh, even the people who understand that this is better for me uh, are they're just holding on and they want to see that number or letter. So it's going to take some work, you know, but um, I, I think there's a lot of great people doing great work there. And um, you know, it's definitely um, it got a boost from like people seeing, Hey, wait, what I'm doing isn't working and I, I have to adjust. And there's a lot of people that just kind of ripped the bandaid off when we had to shift to remote instruction. Mm -hmm. So um, I've definitely seen a boost in this area as well. A lot of great thoughts and great ideas coming from all over the country. So, yeah. uh, so let's shift to um, your new project, right? Uh, Amplified learning your, your um, global collaborative. So, um, this is going to be a series. So you didn't just say, Hey, I'm going to write one more book collaborating with a bunch of people. You decided I'm going to do a series. So, um, talk about the series. Um, and you know, the intent who you're, if you can give details on who you're working with and like what the topics are, yeah, uh, anything you want to share. Yeah, so I'm working with Becky Lim. Um, she's a digital um, technology coach for uh, primary level, and I essentially do the same role for secondary and adult ed and and whatnot. So her and I wanted to collaborate on a on a project, but we wanted to also you know really amplify other educators across the world 
because they're doing amazing things in their classroom with instruction and technology. And we felt that we want to, you know, collaborate with them and um, talk about a variety of different topics where we can incorporate research-based instructional strategies with tech. So we talk about um, throughout the series about 12 different topics. Um, the first book, it's focused more on just the general instructional design of a lesson. So we have engagement, assessment, feedback, and collaboration. And then for our second book, we have reading, mathematics, and writing. And then for our third book, we have um, robotics, computer science, and uh, STEAM. And then for our final book, we have um, strategies for students with special needs, um, English language learners, as well as focus on personal learning. So we try to encompass experts from around the world and talking about that. And also um, what we liked each at the end of every chapter, we had a number of educators um, provide a strategy um, you know, um, to showcase what they know and to add to what was discussed. So um, really it's a book for anyone K6, uh, you know, K20, I mean, anyone can be, um, use these strategies and hear from educators doing it in the field. Um, you'll get a little bit of everything. And um, each book is um, really nice uh, to sweet to the point, about 120 pages, 140 pages and provides resources along the way. And, um, you know, the, the goal is for educators to go back again and again and um, you know, you change over time as well. You may be changing different types of classes and, um, you know, types of curriculum. So the goal is with the series is that you could utilize, um, you know, each book for, you know, a variety of different purposes. And who, who are you publishing that with? Uh, Edumatch. Okay. And the first book, it should be releasing fairly soon, right? Yeah, in June. June is the um, release for the book, first book. Awesome. Um, and you have other projects as well? Yeah. So I have Instruction Without Boundaries, which is coming out with EduMatch in August, which is a book by itself, which kind of just sets us up for a world where, um, you know, we as teachers can teach in any sort of classroom setting and modality. And we provide a strategies across the board for, for that. So to gear teachers um, to be able to do that. And then um, a couple other things, um, can't really talk about them, but one's on data literacy, my dissertations on data literacy for educators and, and school leaders. So I wanted to get back to that eventually um, and um, write something about that. And then I have a project going with a number of individuals about um, for new teachers, for newer teachers in the profession, and how can we keep them in the profession? So was that inspired by your work with the pre-service teachers? It was, and I was able to connect with a lot of really um, great educators from around the country that are doing a lot of similar work as me. Um, I work with, um, you know, English language and dual language. So, um, so um, pre-service teachers that teach in Spanish and English. I have a teacher that I'm working with that does um, special education. One does um, more like social science and English, and then one focuses on um, working with teachers on self-care and burnout. A lot of stuff. Yeah, but it's good. But it's good, though. It keeps me it keeps me like when I think about this type of work, you know, I think that in the world that we live in, you know, 
I want to make a difference with it. I, I practice what I preach in terms of what I'm writing about. And I just hope that, you know, I can help someone, you know, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what matters when it comes mm-hmm. down to it. You know, we both want to help people. We both want to help students. We want to, you know, make this profession, you know, sustainable and, you know, amplify it. And I think that, you know, if I can help a little bit in that, then, you know, that makes me happy at night. And, um, and that's just ultimately just, you know, what I like to do and enjoy it. And, you know, it's not about, you know, when you write a book, it's not about the money anyway. Yeah. So um, it's more of just like passion project and, and whatever. So, um, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy working with people and, you know, I get better as a result of my day to day, you know, from working with all these people. So it's really enjoyable. And in your free time, you had mentioned something about doing a Twitter chat. Yeah, so Becky and I are going to do a Twitter chat on for AMP Global EDU. Um, we'll have one each month. Um, I believe we're going to have our first one on the 28th of this month, if I am not mistaken. And it will be at, um, I think, 4 p.m. Pacific or 4.30 p.m. Pacific. I'll, I definitely I don't have it up in front of me right now in terms of my calendar, but it's uh, it's it's around that time. We'll definitely post about it, and we'll have one each month. And then and then Becky and I will be doing a live stream where um, we'll have educators that have written in our books um, talk about what they're what they're doing in their classrooms and schools. So we definitely look forward to um, to that as well. To you know actually have them you know narrate to us a little bit more and elaborate than um, what they talk about in the book and just get to know them better. Um, as a person and hopefully um, our readers and audience get to do that as well. I think getting to know a person before you read their book is is important so that you get a base to it versus just reading it on the page. Yeah, you know, there's definitely, um, and I don't care how many words you have, they're never enough, right? So we had to cut our book down to 40,000 words and like, <laughs> it, it was tough. I could have probably done double that. Um, you know, and so you're right hearing people speak about it, like, you know, and I guess what people don't understand is a lot of times what they're reading is already a year or two old. Yeah. Yeah. And like for people like you, you're always evolving, you know, so like hearing say, yeah, you know, I know that's in the book and here's how I modified it. And this is like the offshoot of that. Now, I, I think that's really beneficial for people to hear. Um, so the, the Twitter chat, those are going to be topics from, um, the, the books. Yeah. They'll be, for example, the, the, the first one will be on, um, student engagement strategies. Okay. And so are you getting the people who wrote those chapters to moderate the chats? Yeah. They'll be moderating the chats. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. So thank you for joining me tonight. Um, I think it's really important for people to connect with you. So, where can they find your podcast, your blog? Uh, where can they get your books? And uh, what's the best place for them to connect with you? Yeah. So if you go to MatthewRoads.com, you can check out my books there, the podcast and the blog. And then you can connect with me on Twitter at MattRoads1990, on Instagram at DrRoadsEDU. And um, yeah, that's the easiest way to connect with me. And um, definitely, you know, Hopefully we get to connect and learn from each other. And that's ultimately what it's about. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. Yeah. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. 
I look forward to hearing your feedback. For more resources, visit www.reimagineschools.com or reach out to me on Twitter at David Franjosa.